0: Um, we've heard a lot today about challenges, and I think fieldwork in East Africa may be a great challenge for everyone. We've also heard a lot about uh, medicine. Um, being a paleontologist, one of the problems I always have is, um, or one of the questions I always have, I and mean, it's scepticism is about evolution. And think, what I'm listening this morning, I was thinking one of the... E, um, best examples of evolution today is actually in medicine where you see the evolution of all the modern diseases, new diseases appearing, diseases that we already know changing and here's evolution taking place and it's a great challenge to um, modern medics. Um, my my um, career began, uh, hopefully, well I was hoping it would begin as, as a marine zoologist but as everyone knows, um, there's nothing very marine about where I work. And this is because largely because I was um, a female, and when I was applying for jobs, the answer was always the same. Sorry, no facilities on boats for women. We don't want you. Try something else. So this is how I got to East Africa, working, in fact, with Louis Leakey um, at a primate research center that he had started. And it was the furthest thing i had ever dreamt that I would do. However... Um, dreams are dreams, and once I started on this I found, wow, this is something good. Um, I met Richard, and Richard invited me up to Turkana, and that's how I got into um, grubbing around in the desert looking for bones. <laughs> Just to put you on the map very quickly, um, we're in, um, you can see Lake Turkana there, and um, the whole point about East Africa and the reason it's so rich in fossils is because of the Rift Valley. And most of the fossil sites in fact in Africa for the time interval of the evolution of humans is in the Rift Valley. There's also some dinosaurs there as well. Um, the, the, what we really have to remember is when we're doing our reconstructions and interpretations that in fact we have a very very biased picture because there's very little going on in the rest of Africa in terms of the fossil record, and of course humans were evolving in the rest of Africa. So always with our interpretation we must be very um, careful about what we're saying. Um, East Turkana is a lake, 120 kilometers long, sorry, 160 miles long, so it's huge, and the amount of exposure around the lake is absolutely enormous, which is why. We have spent now nearly forty years looking at the exposures in this area, and there's still more to do than, than we've actually done already. And we go back now today again and again and we're still finding fantastic fossils in evidence of um, early humans. The, um the Turkana, the Lake Turkana is named after the Turkana people. When you're working out there, you have this tremendous feeling of contrast, because here are we working in this area with our modern equipment, our computers, our GPSs, our digital cameras, and the people who are living there couldn't really be, be more traditional. More, um, they're, they're very, very culture. They have their own cultures, but they're very traditional in all respects. And you see them sitting in the, land, in the sand rivers watching us, and you can just think, what are they thinking? Here's us with our enormous amounts of equipment and um, tents and this and that, and they have absolutely nothing. So Kana is um, basically a um, semi-arid desert, lots of badlands, and we're wandering around trying to interpret this into a detailed story of human evolution and, and humanity's past. And so that's our challenge, is how to do this. But at the same time, we're trying to have a bit of fun, and um, in the early days in 1969, when I was first up there, we um, were were having our fun on camels. And at that that time, um, we found our, uh, or I was present at the first um, discovery that I had witnessed. In fact, it was the first discovery that Richard had made of a human skull. And this is the skull he found. And this was sitting in the sand river, as you see it there. Um, it, It was just sitting there looking at us. And I thought, wow, this is easy. Things are now different, and in fact they became different very quickly. Uh, This was 1972 when somebody discovered a whole lot of um, skull fragments eroding out of a hill. Um, Richard tried to stick them together but didn't have much luck. And you can see I'm there trying to get my fingers on it. I'm holding in my arms um, Louise, our eldest daughter, who you can see even then she's interested. (laughs) And now she's very actively involved. um, this particular skull required six weeks of careful p- sticking all the pieces together. And at the end of it, we had a really fantastic specimen. So they're not all sitting in the river looking at us. Um, so what are we trying to do? As I say, we're trying to look at this, these badlands, look at all these rocks, and try and make a story. And one way we do it is looking at the geology. And obviously the geology preserves in the rocks all sorts of clues. But you've got to know what the clues mean, and you've got to see them. And if you don't know what you're looking for, you're not going to find them. But when we do our interpretations, we're trying to reconstruct the habitat that was there four million years ago, three million years ago, or however many years. In order to do this also, we're looking at the fossils. And some of the fossils we found are really spectacular. And when we have these things, we, we get the experts on to reconstructing what they were actually looking like and where they were living. And again, that gives us an idea of the habitat. And also we want to know how old these things are, and so we have to date the rocks. And the dating we do is not the actual fossils. We're looking at the, um, the usually, volcanic eruptions, and this here, all the white in this slide, is volcanic ash, which can be dated (coughs) by a method called potassium argon. Usually these um, layers are in um, thin layers, And, and in this case, the accuracy of this method now has been greatly enhanced and we can actually send a single crystal, um, a zircon or something, and it will be dated. Whereas in the old days you had to have quite a large pumice and and, um, it was much, much more difficult. So The accuracy now, we can date two rocks to um, an accuracy of 10,000 to 20,000 years, which is absolutely phenomenal. So all these methods we're trying to reconstruct what it was like in the past in order to place the human fossils that we find into a context. And you can imagine in order to do this, it requires a large number of um, experts in different fields. And this work, more than any other, perhaps, but I think all scientific investigation depends on teamwork. It depends on many, many, many other people. It's not something that one person does. And you get a great sense of, of excitement when other people come in with different evidence from different directions and even unthought of directions um, in, in um, Interpreting some some clue here, there, are, or um, sorry. The um, well, we've got the computer giving us some extra signals here. The the um, I'm trying to go backwards. Anyway, the the uh, the way we look for fossils is either by wandering over the surface, or by um, sometimes going on our hands and knees in a in a tight row like this, where we're picking up every single bone we find, looking very carefully at it. So if you're, getting, if you're finding it very difficult to find what you're looking for, that's one way of doing it. But generally, the initial way is just to walk over the exposures, have a good look, um, find what you can, and then go in in the detail, and eventually perhaps go in with an excavation. But normally, it's just walking in the hot sun, in the wind, um, see what we can find. In the first um, 20 years that we were working there, the um, rewards were spectacular. These are the skulls that we found. And um, the challenge now is to put all these skulls into, into a story and to, to show how they relate to each other and how they relate, in the, in the end, to, to becoming us. <clears throat> um, in the original years, Richard was leading the field work, And then I took over in 1989 when he went off to save the elephant. And um, he, he, this is his, his ivory pile that he began his career in the wildlife with, which was quite a spectacular um, way in. So I, then I took over the field work, and I had all the, the um, challenges of, of running an expedition. And these are, it's not all just running around there looking for fossils, they're inevitably um, hazards now and then. How to, um, you, you get stuck in the mud, the, how to cross rivers, um, sometimes it rains when you don't expect it to. This happened the first night of one expedition, and our entire three months food, food supply was under that tent. Or it, actually it wasn't. The tent had been blown away. And um, also to involve the local communities somehow in what we're doing, because they, they, they feel it, they're their fossils, they're, it's their land, and they somehow have to be, um, be helped by benefits from our work. And one way is to um, give them medical treatment, Another way is to try and raise money for schools or um, clinics and this sort of thing. So we're very involved in that as well. One of the hard things about the work is is finding water, and it's always a worry, where are you going to find your water? And working in this sort of area, you really realise how important water is to life. If you have no water, you simply can't live. And the the Turkana people have a a difficult time always with water. And having lived up there as long as I have, the challenge is is that you know water is precious and you can never leave a tap running you can never spend more than one second under the shower (coughs) it's just second nature (coughs) and now I'm going to run out of time I think Um, and then of course the the worst challenge of all is how to keep your equipment going how to keep your um, the funds flowing so um, so quickly now to go through, um, we, when we do our interpretations we're trying to find what makes, what makes us different from other people. And there's a number of things that are um, very, um, it's, it's a matter of, of degree really, how we differ in terms of our emotions, in terms of our culture, in terms of our uh, ability to make stone tools and all these sort of things. But the things where we really different, differ, um, differ are actually preserved in the fossils. And this is lucky because the fossils are preserved in the rocks. And so we can look at these um, differences and we can make interpretations as to when we became bipedal, when we became with a dexterous hand, and when we got our large brain. Um, the work that Don Johansson did in um, Hadar in Ethiopia um, unraveling the, um, this species, Australopithecus afarensis, his discovery of Lucy and all the work they did up there, the work that Mary Leakey did at Lytoli um, with the discovery of this fantastic footprint trail, um, went a long way to showing the origins of bipedality and when bipedality began. Um, and now there's been even more discoveries suggesting that bipedality goes right back to six million years um, and was the key feature that separated humans from apes. The next thing that we have that makes us different is our manipulative hands. It would be no good um, having a big brain if we couldn't do the things that we do with our hands and the the reason that we can do so much in technological terms is because we can um, do very, very fine um, things with our hands. I think originally probably this manual dexterity came in as a feeding mechanism, um, but it also then led to making stone tools and then um, more and more and more advanced technology. The key feature that really makes us what we are is, of course, our big brain. And that comes in just after um, the appearance of Homo erectus. This skeleton you see here was discovered on the west side of the lake in 1984, and it showed us the body of a Homo erectus and the head of a Homo erectus all on on one plan. And, of course, the body looks very, very like ours, but the head has a much, much larger brain. So this is the beginning of um, cranial expansion, but the brain doesn't really get to expand until after one million years, and so putting all these things together, um, then we can we, <coughs> we can actually now predict. There we go. Um, when these things happened, and in what order they happened, and the, the, the bipedality leads to manual dexterity, leads to encephalization. We can also see when these things happened, and. Um, the bipedality is clearly the first, between seven and six million. Manual dexterity comes in around about um, two, uh, two, three million, and then um, encephalization at the end. Now, just to quickly to um, have I got the time to do this? Timing. Just quickly to go through um, the, some of the major discoveries that I made um, in the last few years was really to, to go into detail about all the, all the, f- the um, skulls we had found showed tremendous diversity in the end part of the record, but very little in the beginning. And so I was trying to see what happened um, in the early stages. <clears throat> this thing's not working very well. <clears throat> and whether Australopithecus um, afarensis Don Johansen's Jan- find was actually the original hominid ancestor. Um, this, is a, this is a sequence of slides, just to show you how hard it is to find things. Um, and, that, and that, in that previous picture, um, is where the mandible was. Sorry, this thing's just not okay. Uh, <clears throat> so there you are, this is, and it's really, really as difficult. One has a search image, and you're looking for what you can see. When we um, excavated this, we had this one wonderful mandible. And on that we named a new species because of its very primitive um, features that look very, very ape-like in many ways. So this is now older than Osteopithecus afarensis and may well be the um, ancestor of afarensis. In 1999, we, just, we went to a site to see if we could find um, fossils that were alongside afarensis living at the same time, and um, we came up with this um, rather, rather broken skull, but nevertheless a very important skull that lived alongside Afarensis and showed that, in fact, diversity does go back in time. And I believe that in the coming years we'll find more and more um, diversity going right back to the beginning of the separation with apes. Um, just to end up then, now my daughter Louise um, is working with me and we're in a new phase of, dis- of research in which the old folks are being um, retired slowly. and. There's a brand new team of young, enthusiastic people. And I think this is one of the most satisfying things that I find in the work today, is that you're getting all this new enthusiasm. You're getting um, Kenyan scientists with, um, using all the new techniques. And um, we're, we're, we've had a, a, a real, um, real possibility and positive future ahead. And we're still getting new discoveries. Here's Louise and I find, um, excavating our latest discovery. And I think the message that all this gives us is that um, we're one species remaining today. We had a tremendously diverse past, but there's only one remaining, uh, remaining, and we live on this very, very fragile planet. And as Paul Sereno said, um, we have to look after it very carefully. And the challenge for you people is to make sure that that planet is, can remain in a way that will um, ensure our future as a species. So just to end, <coughs> here's me with all our our ancestors. Thank you very much.